Well, holy crap, another plot twist of sorts in the story of the Utah Jazz, who, depending on whose accounts you believe, either went from, hell no, you can't have Donovan Mitchell, to, well, maybe you can, but impress us, or maybe they went to, okay, we'll quietly have conversations with you, but don't tell anyone, to, all right, everybody, final offers to Justin Zanuck. Whichever version you believe or have believed or are leaning towards believing, something changed today because ESPN's Adrian Wojnarowski did an about-face, a total 180, after a couple solid weeks of insisting that the Jazz were less than amenable to rebuilding-type trades featuring Donovan Mitchell. Now he's saying, and again, subject to some interpretation and reading between the lines and all of that, but now he's saying something else. We're going to figure out what he's saying and what it means and what it could take for someone to pry away a three-time All-Star from the Utah Jazz. And to do that, let's launch, in, let's launch into... An emergency, not really emergency, but that sounds fun. An emergency Salt City Hoops podcast. I am Dan Clayton, the managing editor of said website, and I'm joined by another longtime Salt City Hoops contributor. Same last name, different first name. Uh, Ken, Ken Clayton, how are you doing? Welcome. In. I'm doing good. I'm, I'm glad I have a different first name. That would have made living in our house much more confusing if we had the same first name as well. For sure. For sure. You, we, we, we're catching you like on this weird little, what do you call it? Like a layover, basically you're at your, you're at your home, but that's kind of a, a, a unique circumstance for you being in, in Phoenix. Well, I was at my home last time, but I had just come back into town and now I'm about to leave town tomorrow. You're Utah bound. I am you Southern Utah bound, Southern Utah bound the Shakespearean festival. Yes. So nice. What are you, I, we, we don't have to do your whole docket. What are you most excited about seeing at the Shakespearean festival this year? Uh, probably Sweeney Todd and a stage version of clue the film from 30 years ago or so. Ah, that great Shakespearean masterpiece clue. There are, there are Shakespearean plays. We will see two, but I, at this point I've seen everything Shakespeare wrote multiple times so it's never at the top of my must-see list okay okay clue by the way folks was not written by bill shakespeare um but will probably be good as will the other what was the you the other thing you said was also not oh no. sweeney todd sweeney todd yeah um <clears throat> i just saw the office episode where they do parts of sweeney todd does uh, that count well that's for you to decide all right all right. I'll think about it. I'll yeah. think about it. But we have other things to think about and things to talk about. Um, Ken, what the heck? So so uh, Woj has been, I think, the most um, fierce, the most constant, the most consistent about this message that the Jazz were, were um, you know, after the Rudy Gobert trade that took place on July 1st, which we'll talk about in a in an in, in a roundabout way. Um, in the course of this, in the course of this podcast, um, after the Gobert trade, Woj was one of the loudest people saying, um, "This is not the start of a rebuild. The Jazz, you know, want to build around Donovan Mitchell. Donovan Mitchell is not available." Um, today, he's saying something different, um, and it's not all that different. I don't think um, it's it's different by a matter of degrees, but it is always notable when Woj, who is sort of the the keeper of truths on all things NBA, whenever he kind of changes course that dramatically, um, I think it gets people to listen and, and to wonder, okay, 
where's this coming from? What's the motivation? Who wants him saying that? Who does it benefit, you know, for him to say that? So I guess, let me just, let me just ask you, Ken, what do you, what do you think as you parse this and, and um, as, as you look at the indications from Wojnarowski and other people, right? I mean, all along, we've had Tony Jones of the athletic here, you know, on the local beat saying a similar message. We've had Andy Larson of the Trib um, saying that he felt like the Jazz were more open to making a deal than other people believed. So I, I guess, I, I guess the I guess the best way into this conversation, Ken. My my first question for you is just: Did anything change this afternoon, or 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 how much did things change this afternoon? There are probably multiple answers to that, but my first response after the first first 30 minutes to two hour, I was, as I know you were, cause you told me that I was just, I was researching what teams have, what draft picks. Um, I didn't compile a list like you did, but I was, well, I did compile a different list. I compiled lists of the two teams that have most been rumored to have interest in Donovan Mitchell and the, and the picks that they have in greater detail. And you, and you compile a list of all the teams and all the picks. So which my we'll first, get to. Yeah. And my first reaction was after, well, second reaction, I guess, because first little while I was like draft picks. And then I settled down a little bit. And I thought, how much has really changed? And I reread these tweets. And um, if we believe the words that are in Woj's tweet, and I don't know if we do or should, he, you know, we know where the information came from rival teams say so. Other teams are supposedly giving him this information again, if we believe the exact words in the tweet. So other teams are saying that the Jazz are showing a willingness to listen on possible trade scenarios. My feeling is that that may be a change from one month ago. That may be a change from two weeks ago. It's probably less of a change in a shorter term. Like since they pulled the trigger on July 1st and traded Rudy Gobert officially on the 6th, but, but it's been out there since the 1st, it's probably not, or I guess, was that the 1st or the 30th? At any rate. It, it was the 1st. It was the 1st. Because right. I was standing on the rim of, of Bryce Canyon. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, with a 40-pound toddler on my back and hiking at 8,000 feet elevation and just trying to survive. And I looked at my watch because you knew I would be I would have a spotty internet connectivity. So you texted me the text mm -hmm. of the Woj tweet. I looked at my watch and went, oh, bleep. And then kept, and then folk went back to focusing on just surviving the hike. So, so as an aside, you had a 40 pound toddler on your back. So you were potentially 60 pounds heavier than you would wish you would have been hiking in Bryce Canyon, probably. Well, at least that because yeah, the okay. backpack also weighs something oh, and, okay. you know, so All right. yes, I, but, but thanks for the dig at my weight. I appreciate that either way. <laughs> I, it wasn't a dig. I was talking about where you wish you were. You've been public oh, okay. about that, all at right, least on right. the other social media <laughs> site. I guess I'm crossing the streams here. Yes, Sorry. streams have been crossed. It's all right. No, look, I'll be, I'll be transparent. I'm trying to, I'm trying to lose a little. Yeah. Um, at the end of that hike, I got to shed 40 pounds all at once when I took the backpack off. The same doesn't happen with this spare tire. But anyway, back to, so okay. yes, it was July 1st uh, okay. when the trade was made known Sidebar to and sidebar to sidebar over. Yes. Um, okay. So since then, 
this doesn't seem like it's probably a huge change to me. My, my feeling is that teams always, always are listening to offers, even if they have zero intention of trading a player and they should be, they should be, they should have a shared Google sheet or a little black book, depending on which era we're talking about, where they're writing down everybody who called and registered interest in a player. Because even if they're not planning to trade that player today, at some point in the future, they will be. And it's good to know who values that player, whether that means a team values that player or an individual values that player, if that individual then goes on to work for another team. So they should always be listening. So the fact now that it says, you know, they were previously shutting down inquiries and now they're showing a willingness to listen. I don't know that it, I don't know that the needle has moved that far in the last couple of weeks on that. So, yeah. So I'll agree with, I'll agree with that part. I, I also think that like, and I'm not trying to galaxy brain this year. I think that the, Oh, they, they were shutting teams down and now they're not might be a little bit of, Woj trying to cover his own tracks and give himself the air cover so that it doesn't sound like, wow, I've been fully wrong for two weeks. Um, I think that with the rival teams thing, like I do take that literally in the sense that like, you know, what Woj isn't, he's not just going to bold faced lie. So if he says that, like, this is the indication that rival teams are giving him, then I, then I, I do take that at face value. I also think that, given the strong relationship that Woj has with Zanuck and Ainge and the rest of the jazz front office, I don't think he tweets that without running it by some people. Um, <clears throat> so I'm, I'm not ready to say that it was just simply like, Oh, you know, pick a, pick a GM here. Troy Weaver said that like two weeks ago, they weren't even listening to, you know, I, I, I do think that given what we know about the relationship and the depth of that relationship, I, I would not, I would not, I would not take, I take rival teams literally. I don't think that that's necessarily where Woj's reporting ended. Right. No, I, I agree with that. And we also do. Well, I, I, I guess I shouldn't say we know, but we've heard and seen on Twitter that, Woj, I believe, had dinner with Justin Zanuck three nights ago. Yeah, which, as I've said to people, like, I didn't need to know that to know that Woj has right. a good relationship with the Jazz front office, a, a better relationship than most of the national newsbreakers. Um, so, so yeah, I mean, Woj is, Woj is someone who, yeah, he, he wouldn't have published that without, without at least running it by some people. Um, wh what I think... To, to me, I think what this might signal is more a change on the other side of the negotiating table. Um, it is my opinion. I don't, I don't believe my understanding of the way the jazz operate and I'm not in the room. So I don't know. This is a little bit, this is a little, little bit of informed conjecture here, but um, I don't think the jazz have a policy of like, Oh, if you say this player's name, we're hanging up the phone. Um, I do think that their threshold for, a Donovan trade has always been high, probably higher than a Rudy deal. Um, I think that's going to be a tough bar to clear. And I think if anything has changed in the last whatever time frame, to your point, if, if, if something's changed in the last two days or, or six days or two weeks or whatever, it might be more a function of 
the offers that are coming in now are a little bit more serious. Mm-hmm. And so there's a reason to kind of at least engage in some conversation. I, I know, um, I know of one actual Mitchell offer that was on the table before the draft, and it was laughably bad in terms of what you would expect someone to offer for a three-time all-star who's 25 years old with three to four years left on his deal. So if that's an indication of what people were calling with, then it's not a surprise to me that there wasn't a lot of meaningful dialogue around that name. And if suddenly there is, that might not mean that the jazz have reversed their stance as much as it means that other teams have said like, Oh crap, this isn't a fire sale. We can't lowball them and, and come in and, and steal him for, you know, non blue chip assets. Like the, the jazz are going to want a, a, a Gobert like return. Um, if not a little better than a Gobert like return for Donovan Mitchell. Yeah. Now, just for a moment, and I didn't tell you ahead of time I was going to do this. I'm going to put on my tinfoil hat just because I want to appeal to all the listeners. So the tinfoil hat version of this is something changed when you say on the other side of the table, you're talking about a team, but there's a third side to this table. Could something have changed on Donovan Mitchell's side of the table that caused a change in the, in the chatter today? I don't really think that's the case, but that's, I think, again, if I have my tinfoil hat on and I'm going to be a conspiracy theorist, I say, is today the day that Donovan woke up and said, you know what, this rebuild is just not for me. I'm going to call him and tell him I want to be traded. Or I'm going to call CAA and they'll tell Woj to start laying the path for, the path for this. And there was a little bit of this yesterday too, because the, the news story that I don't think is a news story that Danny Ainge doesn't believe that Donovan Mitchell is can't is capable of leading a team or whatever the exact wording was yeah yeah um, there, there's been a little bit of that now for maybe two or three days two two days straight and i don't remember if there was something the day before so do you think there's anything to that you be feel free to put on a tinfoil hat or forget the tinfoil hat and you be the voice of reason uh, well my I, i've i've gotten versions of that today from people on the the bluebird machine um and I guess my, my first response to that is it's not like that because Woj tweets that now the jazz are legally bound to say, oh. well, Woj says we're listening. So we got to listen. So I think that, I think the notion that, that Donovan is trying to like Jedi mind trick the jazz into now, could, you know, there's a more indirect version of that tinfoil hat theory, right? Where he's just trying to, create enough dialogue, enough of a fissure, enough of a pretense to eventually ask out <clears throat> or say, oh, look, the Jazz are dangling me and that makes me a flip. Like, you know, if, if that's the way it goes, if that's the way this unfolds is that the next chapter is he says, oh, look, they're, they're planting rumors about me. I need to get out of this situation. Then, then maybe I'll start putting my tinfoil hat on more. Can I tell you what my, here's my actual theory. And this is like, this is not overly salacious, I don't think, but I think it's, I think it's a step further than most people have, have said out loud today. Um, I actually think this. So we have so a drum sin- roll? Yeah, go ahead. Whatever. I, no, I, no. I don't have a soundboard here. Yeah. But- yeah. Okay. Just say it then. <clears throat> um, so. So in a minute, we're going to talk about 
kind of where each of us started the off season in terms of expectation and what we thought the jazz would or might or should do. Um, and, and I'll, and at that point I'll tell you kind of what I, what my understanding was until I got that text message in Bryce Canyon. I think since the Gobert trade though, I've, I've increasing, I've grown more and more convinced that the jazz, <clears throat> that the jazz were going to follow that the jazz were going to go one way or the other on this thing in the post Gobert environment. Um, meaning that they were either going to use their assets and their matchable salaries to try to go out and hunt a real star for Mitchell, a, a real uh, star teammate for, for Donovan Mitchell, or go the other way and get serious about a rebuild. <clears throat> Just because let's say you add a second or third tier guy to a squad with Donovan and some nice veteran role players. Like what does it do? Does, does John Collins or Miles Turner or whoever Harrison Barnes <clears throat> Like maybe they take you from 40 wins to 44, like big whoop, right? Um, so, so because of that, <clears throat> and you know, like, look, I, I, I talk to people, I'm also not a newsbreaker or anything, but like, I've just increasingly, I've got, I, I had gotten myself to a point where I was like, you know, they might try for a decent sized fish, whatever that means. And if the decent sized fish play isn't there, then maybe they then maybe they start looking at at rebuild options. And I really do think that the Jazz have had things that they were working on in both directions. Um, that's a guess or a theory, but it's an educated one. I really think that likely what happened today is that some of those <clears throat> decent sized fish pursuits, and I'm not talking crazy here. I'm not saying that the Jazz were going to go out and get. LeBron, I, I'm just yeah. like that, whatever they might have been pursuing to try to make this team capital C competitive post Gobert trade, um, maybe hit a dead end. And that's when they started to, to be more serious about, okay, what does plan B look like? Um, and, and I don't have any more evidence to support that than the tinfoil hat people have to support the other theory. But that's my that's my working theory right now is that <clears throat> is that the Jazz always knew that if they were going to keep Donovan Mitchell on this team past the Gobert trade, that he wasn't going to want to be part of a rebuild. He was going to want to be competitive and that they were working on pathways to that and that and that what Woj's tweet today might signal is that maybe some of the things they thought were going to be available aren't available. And so now they're hedging their bets. Maybe. And that's consistent with, I mean, I think they were, they had a certain group of pe of players. They were dangling before the draft, trying to get players or picks and those players didn't move, which eventually led into the decision to trade Rudy. Also, they got a spectacular offer for Rudy. Now I believe my logic says they've still been trying to do something with that same group of players, more or less, to try to find the asset that's going to go next to Donovan Mitchell and 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 remain, as you say, capital C competitive. So that does track. What they may be finding is that that group of players, those assets that they thought they could use to attract, uh, I think uh, Justin Zanuck used the word primary player when he spoke the other night with the right. media. He's so, used that look, word a couple times now. Yeah. Yeah. So looking for a primary player and maybe what they're finding out now is 
they can't get them with the Mike Conleys and Boyan Bogdanovich's and Jordan Clarkson's and, and who am I missing? Um, but they, I guess Malik Beasley, Patrick Beverly, um, or maybe they could, but only if they'd be willing to throw in like half of the haul that they just got and they're not willing to do that. And so now they could be at a point where they're saying, as they did on July 1st, well, what does it look like if we go this other direction instead? It's it's not a bad year to be bad. I will say that. Like everybody's yeah. talking about Victor Wembayana, and, and I think he'll be generational. But even beyond him, I think that there is um, there are there are probably a, a half dozen guys or more at the top of next year's draft that most people are projecting to to have a shot at being multiple time all stars. So. Yeah. If, if you decided you were going to take a, a little dip into the lottery pool, pull out a top whatever pick, and then start using assets to, you know, like you could, you could theoretically make this a, um, a not that painful, not that protracted um, rebuild. Although that's kind of what the Jazz tried with the last rebuild. And then what they wound up with is they were just a little bit short of, of blue chip talent to get there. So maybe, maybe this is a trust the process kind of thing, but, but again, we don't even know if we're there yet. We don't even know if this is an actual rebuild or not. It depends on, you know, what, what happens with, uh, with this Donovan business. Right. Well, well, let's do this. Um, and then we'll, we'll, we will dig into the list of teams and, and who has multiple picks and how that could figure into um, the, the asking price for Donovan. Um, I am curious to know, cause I, cause I don't even, as much as you and I talk about this stuff. And I think a lot of our conversations and texts were mostly trying to figure out as opposed to opining and weighing in ourselves. So I'm not even sure that I know like on July, on June 30th or the morning of July 1st, before you texted me and ruined my hike, um, like where, what was your going in before the Rudy trade? What was your going in hope in terms of, were you in, were you on team retool around the big two? Were you on team retool around one or the other? Or, or have you always been sort of, of the mind of like, let's tear it the hell down. Let's start with that. And then I'm interested to hear if that's changed at all too. But, but first off, like, what was, what was your what was your ideal off season? If I truth serum to you on June 30th, my ideal, or what did I think was going to happen? No, I think I know what you think was going to happen. Okay. I want to hear your ideal. I want to hear what you were hoping they would do. Well, all right. Well, one of the reasons I, don't, I think we don't opine a whole lot is I just have a personal, not a policy, but I just think it's a, a bit pointless to try to create and, and, and project trades because there's just too many variables. But we, if we talk more in types of players, I, it, it, what I would have done, um, again, assuming trade partners and players were all, were all down with this, um, and Ryan Smith, who would be paying the bill for all of this. I, I believe what I would have done, if I go back two weeks, I would have been looking to replace two starters not named Rudy Gobert or Donovan Mitchell and probably at least two other rotation players so that in your top eight, you're bringing in four fresh people. Now, 
who are they going to go get? I don't know, because that's where I don't I don't really buy it. We, we very often until we get tipped by the media, tipped by a leak, we don't usually know, oh, well, this is the guy they should get because we don't know if that guy's available, if that team's going to deal with them. If, well, it's not Amazon, right? Yeah, it's yeah. not. You don't yeah. just go like, I want to Harrison Barnes now. Right, right. So but, you know, if I'm if I'm making my wish list, I'm going to go find guys to replace those two starters and two to three rotation players who are the same profile the Jazz have given us. A little longer, a little more athletic, and a little more like what everybody in the league wants to get. So good luck finding him. Um, to that point, if we go back even a little further, I would have, you know, done what I could, and I think they did, to, to, find, a, to find a second round pick where I could just draft a long guy like they probably should have done a long athletic wing because that's the direction the world is going, in my opinion. Not a not a not a center like they did two years ago, and not a point guard like they did one year ago. Get a long athletic wing. May or may not work out, but you're you're taking a swing at what I believe to be, you know, from a from a physical profile where the league is heading um, until it heads a different direction. So I think that's does that give you a good enough framework for where where I think general manager. Ken Clayton would have gone if I was running the show. Yeah. Yeah. So but broadly speaking, you were on team reimagine the core around those two. If you could get it, it. Yeah. If you could change enough around them, then yes, that's, that's where I would have gone. So, so me too. And as a corollary to that, I'm wondering how you feel about, um, about this, about the, window has shut narrative the the viewers can't see the yeah i know the painful face you're making yeah so that's going to be a really pregnant pause i, I but... think the window was i i don't from a talent perspective i don't think that the window was shut i think the window was shut because of just bad mojo in the locker room literally you know we talk about this year and there was the emergency podcast recently with the with the beat writers and all the drama that was revealed there that you neither you nor i was really got to listen to you got to listen to zero of that i got to listen to a little bit of it um i just the the drama there so there was the drama this year but i think it's gone back longer than that i think and not just not just rudy and don because we can pretty much track that back to you know the story of that but i think there's been more than that going on for even longer i think because of that there needed to be a pretty good reset button hit and and, and i'm just not sure that unless you made pretty decent changes that the window was open even though it should have been based on talent okay all fair all fair um i think i'm with you i think I think that especially the broader NBA community is a little too quick to look past some of the factors involved in. So, so basically they've, they've tried broadly speaking, they've tried two constructions now around Donovan, Donovan and Rudy, right. They mm -hmm. had the, the Jay Crowder, Ricky Rubio version. And then they had the, you know, with, with other ancillary pieces, but, and then they transition into the Mike Conley, Boyan Bogdanovich, Jordan Clarkson, supporting cast. Joe Ingles was a fixture in both. Um, <clears throat> and, and, you know, I think that that second version was good enough to compete with anybody full stop. 
And I think that why history won't remember them that way is because of the frequency with which people just completely look past the fact that they played the 2020 playoffs without their second leading scorer. And they played most of the elimination series in 2021 without Mike and with Donovan hurt and all those things. This year was a little different because they were um, healthy. Um, There was some other bull crap going on and I, and I don't even, I don't even know how to quantify if that, if all of that drama should have been more debil- not should have been, but like, is that kind of psychological crap in your, in your locker room and infecting everybody's brains? Is that less debilitating or as debilitating or more debilitating as being without a starter? I, I don't, I don't know how to put a value on that without, you know, putting each guy in, in hours of therapy to, d- to dig into what's in their brains. Um, but, but I, I ask these questions because to me, it is, it is pretty stark to go from where I was, you know, 14 days ago, 12 days ago, which is expecting that there was at least the possibility of a team that was going to look different, but be built on some of the same principles and, and primary talents to now all of a sudden imagining a world where like next year's jazz could be like Malik Beasley with a 35% usage rate. (laughs) Like, and, and that's, and that's just, you know, that's something I guess we all got to get over or get used to or whatever, but it's, it's uh, life comes at you fast, man. That's, I guess the point here. Right. Yeah, I look. I look back at you know, and again, I'm. I, I, I don't know if I ignored or underplayed or I mean downplayed the drama during the season, but the 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 point we're at right now is literally in the last five months and a couple of days. The Jazz had a seven-player core that was pretty good, and a head coach that was pretty well liked and admired around the league. And 50% of those eight people are now gone. And there's a very good chance that the team is not done. So crap was not good. Um, And, you know, this is a little bit the reckoning. And I know there are some people who still, you know, will vilify the person who's making the deals and saying he is the problem. And I'm talking about Daniel R. Ainge there. And or or vilifying I, other people. Like, I don't think there's been any shortage of people, vil, no. you know, finding folks to vilify right. here. Right. But, but anyway, make your point. Yeah. Uh, but, but I just think to me, that's, yeah, it's a sign that he's a guy who likes to deal, but I think it's also a sign that there were issues. I mean, literally your head coach just <laughs> threw up his hands and said, I'm done here. There's no more I can do. Um, after like six straight 50 win seasons or, or 50 ish win seasons. Yeah. Right. And, 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 that, and, you know, I don't know him personally, but he doesn't seem like the sort of guy who is not resilient and not looking to Im- improve himself and, and, and make a better answer challenges. Yeah. Answer challenges and whatever. And that guy said, screw it. <laughs> I'm peace out. Nothing but, here for me to do. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I don't think that I ignore, I, I think I was aware. So look, I'm team optimist. 
And yet, you know, broadly speaking, just generally, I tend to be someone who like, I, I, I think the way I prefer to view sports is that in the history of everything that's ever been done, there was a point in time when it hadn't been done yet. So like there was a point in time when people didn't think Michael Jordan was ever good enough to lead a title team to the promised land. And that's silly now, but it wasn't silly in 1989 or 1988 or 1987. So I've always just kind of been sort of a let's wait and find out kind of, kind of uh, observer. And on top of that, the jazz have been really freaking good. So it was, it was easy to take that stance, but anyone who was paying attention to me throughout the season probably noticed that in about March, I started to sound X percent more worried because that's about when I started to hear some stuff that just made me go, Ooh, I don't know. I don't know if they're going to bounce back from this, this drama. Yeah. That was about the time I think, or that was a little bit before you, uh, you wrote your visit to the psychiatrist piece and the Howie piece, which was about the the same stuff. Yeah. I, I I was all philosophical this year. Normally I'm like numbers and nerd stuff, but I, I got, I got whatever the word is into, into creative writing this year. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Um, so anyway, so yeah, about March, I started to go, Ooh, there's some real stuff happening on this basketball team. And, and having said that, like, I still maintained that they could like wake up from it, that they could snap out of it, that, that guys could, you know, grow up and be professionals in time to still save the season. And Quinn Snyder did too. Quinn Snyder talked about how um, he kept thinking throughout the playoffs, even that, you know, as long as they lasted (laughs) the whole week and a half that the, that the 2022 jazz playoffs lasted um, that he kept thinking that, you know, that, that there would be a spark that, that guys would find that spark. And I think what he meant by that, and again, like you, I don't know him either, but I think what he meant by that is just um, that, that maybe there was an opportunity for guys to, to get past some of that enough to do the thing together as a team. But yeah, that I just, even knowing that what was going on behind the scenes was was serious and was a bit all encompassing and that it went way beyond Donovan and Rudy. um, I I was still hopeful as I was hopeful two weeks ago that there was still a path forward. And and then here we are about to talk about who has enough draft picks to maybe get Donovan Mitchell. So, you know, like I said, um, you, you can't, you can't fall asleep in this league. Things happen fast. Yep. Um, that's what Ferris Bueller taught me in 1986. And you probably didn't learn that lesson until slightly after that. Um, I'm not saying I'm older than you, but it just took you longer to learn that lesson. Let's leave it at that. I mean, I probably watched Ferris Bueller about that time, but didn't learn any deep life lessons from it other than like, you know, the thing, the thing about backing up a car to take miles off, it doesn't actually work. Like that's, that's about the sum total of what I learned from Ferris Bueller in 1986. It's, it's funny. I, we watched that. I watched that movie with my friends. And when they tried to do that, we were all like, that's stupid. That doesn't work. You can't do that. So we were grateful that the plot actually held that up. And yeah. Yeah. Um, and, and, you know, the other thing that always stuck with me, <laughs> is that his dad washed the car with a diaper. Yeah. 
So I don't, every time I think about Ferris Bueller, that image, you know, because I was like, I was six when that movie came out. So anyway, now we're on another tangent. All right. So let's get back to the work of figuring out who, um, <clears throat> if, if the pretense here is that the Jazz want at least what they got for Rudy, um, then what does that mean? For Rudy, they got four first round picks and a pick swap, but let's kind of leave that to the side for a second. They got four firsts three of which are completely unprotected. The other one is lightly protected. Um, Walker Kessler recently drafted. Maybe we count him as a fifth first round pick. I, I, you know, I don't know. He, he's not someone the jazz got to go out and select. So that's a little different, but you know, he's someone who now they get four years of a scale contract and then restricted free agent rights. Um, you know, I, I think it's more of a stretch to think of Leandro Bulmaro that way. Um, and then, you know, the veterans they got, I think are like, whatever, they're useful veterans, but I, I don't think that, I don't think that they were targeting Jared Vanderbilt. I think that they got Jared Vanderbilt and there are things they like about him, but so, so broad, you know, if we're talking about assets, the jazz got between four and five, depending on how we view the Kessler Walker thing, Walker Kessler, Walker, Texas Ranger. I don't know. I keep getting his name wrong because of the other Kessler in the NBA. Um, it, you know, depending on how we view that, they got between four and five draft things plus the swap. Um, now that doesn't necessarily mean that that's literally the asking price for Donovan, because there's probably a package where, you know, a, a team throws in a player who's good enough that the jazz right. go, Oh, that player represents the value of, of what would have been a pick or, or maybe that player is good enough that he represents two picks. Um, but, but because we know that whatever the haul is going to include, whatever the, whatever the asking price is going to be, is going to include multiple firsts. I just thought it would be useful to look at who even in the National Basketball Association has the ability to trade multiple firsts. So here's what I found out. And right off the bat, we can eliminate half the league. And then we can spend, I don't know, another 20 minutes or so talking about the, the remaining half. So here's the half that I think we, we don't really even have to talk about too much. Denver, the, the Nuggets concurrently not trade firsts. I mean, they, they could if they, they could go back and amend some protections. They could, but they, they would have to do something. They would have to do other work in order to be able to activate a first-round pick in a, tra in a trade. So because of that, I don't think Denver is a serious candidate here. Minnesota also cannot currently legally trade a first-round pick. There's something about just having acquired some kind of seven-footer who's pretty good. Um, so their draft picks are all kind of spoken for. Um, there are four teams, Boston, the Los Angeles Clippers, Milwaukee, and Philadelphia, who, as far as I can tell, and some of the rules around, you know, conditional future picks and how many you can trade and the protections and the, and the conditionality of it all is a little bit opaque. But as far as I can tell, those four teams can only trade a single first, um, which I don't think is going to be enough to, to pry Donovan away unless the players they put in are like legitimate stars. Then there are nine teams. So we're literally at half the league. Now there are nine teams that I count who, um, who can trade as of today, they can trade as many as, as two picks. Chicago can trade um, one of its own firsts. Plus they also own a lottery, uh, lottery protected pick from Portland. They could trade both of those. Um, and then the other teams, Cleveland, Dallas, Detroit, Golden State, 
the Lakers, Portland, Sacramento, and Washington each owe a pick that is conditional. So the most they could trade is two more picks that are conveyed conditionally on the backside of, of the one that they currently owe. So that's 15 teams, literally, <clears throat> who the most they could throw into a trade for any player, Donovan Mitchell or otherwise, is a pair of first round picks. And I don't think that that'll get it done unless a star is being included in the package. Everything I say so far track more or less, Ken? Yeah. I mean, you can look at that list. That's that last list of, of teams with two picks and you can envision some players who, who you would, who, who you might entertain. Although most of those players you would think then would flip the picks going the other direction. I mean, you, you would take Luka Doncic and, and, and two picks, but actually if that was <laughs> happening, the, it would be picks going the other direction. So yeah, you're for the most part, I mean, the only one that jumps out at me is if somebody was really excited about, because we've talked about these guys basically since they were drafted, if somebody was really excited about uh, Jonathan Kaminga and Moses Moody and two Golden State picks, could that get it done because they're such recent draftees? Yeah, maybe. But for the most part, you're right. These teams only have two picks. So unless they sweeten the pot enough with, with, a, with a human asset, then that's probably a non-starter. The players would have to be really good in that in the deals for any of those teams. Really good or considered like a pick themselves. I mean, I, I don't know that I'd call my example Kaminga and Moody really good at this stage, but you might look at them and say they're close enough to a first round pick, and I think they're tracking in a direction that maybe you do. But yeah, but I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm not. I'm not making that. I'm not pitching that as a potential trade. I'm just you know. Kind of making an example. Yeah. And, and I, I mean, not to take your bait and go down the rabbit. Like, so again, this is a thought exercise. I'm not, and I'm not expecting a Kuminga Moody package. No, no, no. But like, but Kuminga is interesting, right? Like he yeah. was, he didn't play a lot in the finals for them, but he was part of the rotation throughout the playoffs. So like, I, and, and again, I'm just saying that because that's the type of conversation that the, you'd have to imagine the jazz front office having, like, is Jonathan Kuminga the same as, <clears throat> another team offering us a first um, would, would golden state. I mean, I, I don't know. I don't want to go. I don't want to go too far down any of these single team examples in this right, right, tier right. because it's yeah. not that realistic, but like, you know, you can, you can start to get into guys where there's, I think a valuation that you'd have to make. If golden state was willing to put James Wiseman in the package, like how do the jazz feel about Wiseman? He's, you know, he, he didn't play this year, his first year, the Warriors were much worse when he played. He has yeah. two years left on a rookie deal. Is that something the Jazz view as a plus asset enough that it would stand in for a pick in a package? I don't know. But again, the point here is just that like that's the thought exercise. If, you, if you're trying to get to four or five picks or pick level assets, that's, I think, uh, that, that's, I think challenging in, in that group. So then there's one, the next. Oh, yeah, wait, one, one more quick example. If the Lakers called up and said you could have our two draft picks and Taylor Horton Tucker and Kendrick Nunn, then the Jazz could hang up laughing just like every other team when the Lakers offer those guys for stars. There you go. There you go. Um, 
I, th- I thought you were going to like with a straight face, make the point about, yeah, that you'd have to have a valuation about whether Kendrick Nunn was worth a, <laughs> one first round pick or two first round picks or three first round picks. No, I just laugh every time I, every time anybody of any, of any, you know, of any quality in the league is, is listed as potentially a trade. You, you just go searching for uh, you, you're going to start seeing what about THT and Nunn? They could be the framework. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Well, THT none and two first round picks for Kyrie Irving, <laughs> you know, that, that, that could actually happen. So, or, you know, something like that. I, a lot of people expect Irving to wind up in LA um, probably involves another team. Cause again, I just don't know how the Lakers have the asset juice, but anyway, which is kind of the point of this whole exercise. Okay. So, so now let's go to the teams that do have a little bit more asset juice. I have six who, as far as I can tell, have the ability to trade up to three or four first-round picks. Atlanta can trade its own picks in, 2020, in uh, 23 and 29, but only if they trade them with no cascading protections at all, meaning they either convey unprotected or they, don't, or, or they turn into seconds or the debt is extinguished. Plus, they also have a first from Sacramento, um, that they can trade, although that that pick also isn't guaranteed to convey because it only conveys if Sacramento finishes out of the lottery, and we all know that that's far from a sure thing. So Atlanta has up to three picks they could offer. Charlotte has up to three picks that they can offer. Um, they have two of their own firsts starting in 2025, um, plus a Denver pick that is likely to convey next year, um, assuming that Denver makes the playoffs. Houston owns a bunch of picks um almost none of them are theirs it's it's mostly like the most favorable of or the least favorable of but because they own picks they own a single pick in every draft from now until 2029 they could theoretically trade up to three or four of those picks um i won't get into the details because nobody gives a crap um miami let's come back to miami uh phoenix and toronto each own all of their own picks, which means they could trade up to three to four of them. The 2023 would have to be unprotected. And then they could trade a 25 conditional with two more picks on the backside of that because of rules that we're not going to go into because they make even Ken and myself get sleepy and glazed over and we're cap nerds. So can't imagine what they would do to you, the listener. Um, so then, then Miami is the other one. And I left Miami for last because Miami, and there's another tier by the way, but I left Miami for last in this tier because Miami is a known, um, a known Donovan Mitchell suitor. Here's what Miami can offer. As far as I can tell, they can trade their pick next year, as long as it is unprotected because they have another debt that they have to satisfy as early as 2025 which means they can't trade a 24. So it would have to be a, you get it next year or you don't kind of situation. Which, which and I then, think they'd be fine to do if they right, were. Yeah. Right. And I mean, that pick would be protected by how good Miami is going to be, right. right? It would be a pick in the twenties either way. So, so they could trade their 2023 unencumbered and then they could trade up to two more later after the other debt they have is satisfied. Um, there would be some risk because of how the protection rules work that the two picks could turn into one pick. Um, The jazz would have to go in knowing that, but the point here is the maximum number of draft picks. The jazz could 
cash in from Miami in a Donovan Mitchell trade is three, and there's a chance it could turn into two. Um, I don't know if that's enough. Um, and I don't know, and I don't know how the Jazz view the players that Miami would theoretically put in the deal to compensate for the lack of more draft picks. Like, is Tyler Hero someone that the Jazz view as equal to two picks? I doubt it. Maybe, maybe one pick, I, but I don't even know that for sure. Right. I, I would just, you know, personally think if there's any traction to a Miami deal, it involves a third team that that does have a good perception of Tyler, Tyler Hero or, you know, some other asset that Miami is willing to give up. But in general, Miami seems like they'd do it without including any of their top three, which means they end up with a pretty good top four. Um, and and then you're and and then you're left with Duncan Robinson, Tyler Hero. I forget the other names on down the list. I think I think they could do it with those two and one minimum contract or or at least low end contract, if not exactly a minimum. But I mean, to me, if I'm if I'm Justin Zanuck slash Danny Ainge taking that phone call, that offer doesn't excite me unless there's somebody out there who would give two first round picks for one of those players. It'd have to be hero and send those to us to take that player. So the thing about hero, and this isn't a perfect metaphor because like they're different players and I'm, I'm doing the thing where I oversimplify because they're both, you know, mid-sized wings who are white guys and sweet shooters, but like, so, so Kevin Herter just moved for a, for a 2024 first. Um, I would assume that means that the jazz did not view Herter as worthy of a first round pick or else they could have moved on Herter. Right. Yeah. Um, so if, if the jazz view a first more than they value Herter, and again, Tyler Hero is better than Herder. He's he does a little bit more playmaking, but like broad strokes, I'm I'm not sure. I'm not sure that Hero and three maybe two firsts is is a Gobert like return. And what and what I'm sensing is that the Jazz want is that the is that the bar for a Donovan Mitchell trade is higher than the bar ever was for a Rudy trade. So they gotta they gotta clear and then some what. Minnesota cleared on July 1st. And even if, as I think the league might have to do eventually, they come back down to earth and realize that nobody, Brooklyn, Utah, and a Mitchell trade and so on is going to, there is a school of thought that people are holding out for a better than Gobert return. And that might not come because maybe the better than Gobert return was a mistake by the buying team. Um, but even if they even if they come down on that, there there's to me that's still that return is lacking. I think if you're gonna yeah. if you're gonna sacrifice a couple of picks or I guess just one pick if they can really trade three, then I I think you want to do that by getting a a more proven ready player who can become you know, who can, who you can legitimately look at and say, this person could probably be a first or second option on a team if they develop as we think. And I'm not sure anybody looks at Tyler hero that way. It could be the guy you start to build the next generation around. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, 
I'm with you on all of that. Um, there's also something to be said about the quality of picks, right? Like we're saying five picks, like a first round pick is a, is a static asset with a known value. The reality is that like, given, given Minnesota's franchise history and look, they have a, they have a hell of a team now. Um, but things change in the NBA and nobody on their team is under contract forever. So like when you talk about a, a 2025 unprotected pick from Minnesota, a 2027 unprotected pick from Minnesota, a 2026 unprotected pick swap, a 29, five, or I think it's a 28, whatever. Yeah, 29 my point, top five protected. 29 is top five protected. The pick swap year is 28, right? No, that's 26. Oh, it is 26. Okay. Yeah. But the pick swap is unprotected too. So like those could, those could, you could imagine a universe where those turn into real, real assets, real, mm-hmm. like blue chip level assets. Look, Miami is less likely to be really bad in the next seven drafts, right? Like they're just, um, especially if they get Donovan Mitchell without disturbing their core. Well, so, if they get Donovan Mitchell and they have bam, but I mean, I will point out, uh, Jimmy Butler's 32 and Kyle Lowry's 36. So, but it's also Miami and and they just, they have a little bit more cachet and a little bit more magic dust to just kind of rebuild on the fly. They, they never are bad for long because Pat Riley can get a meeting with anyone. They've been in the lottery three out of the last eight drafts though. Okay. Fair enough. Fair enough. So, so I don't know that it's a hundred percent pixie dust. It only works. What's that? 62 and a half percent of the time. What's the line from Anchorman? 63% of the time, it works every time. <laughs> so go get your sex panther, everybody. Um, all right. Well, so that's that tier. And I think, look, the, the Miami thing is going to be interesting to watch because we know they want him. Um, and so, you know, we'll see. Like, again, I, I don't think it's very promising based on today's assets, but there are other things you can do to produce more assets, right? Here's the next tier. These are teams that um, <clears throat> that have like just a boatload of picks and assets that they could throw Utah's way. Some I can imagine as Mitchell suitors, and others are harder to imagine as interested in, in interested in him for various reasons. Right? Um, Brooklyn owns um, they own a pick in 2023. It probably won't, won't be theirs. They own the second most favorable of Houston, Brooklyn, Philadelphia. Um, they own a top eight protected Philadelphia pick in 27, 28. They own the least favorable um, of OKC, Houston, Brooklyn in 2025, the least favorable of OKC, Houston in 27, and they can trade their own picks in 28 and 29, plus whatever they get back in a KD trade. So uh, at the end of the day, Brooklyn could be a team who could have more than enough draft assets to get it done. Um, now, if they're trading KD, what do they, what do they want to do? Right. Do they, do they want to rebuild right away behind a kid from, from upstate New York or, you know, do they have other designs? I don't know, but Brooklyn has enough draft assets even now, but especially after they do whatever other trades they're going to, they're going to do. Brooklyn has enough assets to make this interesting. Um, Indy has all of its own first round picks plus a top 12 protected from Boston next year and a lotto protected um, from Cleveland next year. So they could trade as many as, you know, five or six picks in all. Now is Indiana with where they're at as a franchise, are they going to throw the kitchen sink at Donovan Mitchell and go all in right now? I don't know that I would, if I were them, 
Um, Memphis has all of its own picks plus a lightly protected Golden State pick in 24 to 26. Um, but they also have John Morant and Desmond Bain. So maybe less interested in Donovan Mitchell. Um, a team no one's talking about, but I think is actually borderline kind of interesting as a Donovan Mitchell fit. Um, you, you, they'd, it, they'd have to pivot some other things. They'd have to make some decisions about like a CJ McCollum, but new Orleans has all of its own firsts. Um, they also have a couple of years where they have swap rights with LA or Milwaukee. So their own or better first round picks. Um, plus they have a first from LA, um, an unprotected Milwaukee in 2027. And again, there's not a guarantee, like that's a long ways out. That could wind up being a good pick. And they have a small chance of a top four pick from Milwaukee in 2025. Um, so they could trade a lot of stuff. Um, we'll come back to New York. OKC has, everybody knows they just have, in fact, I'm, I'm just going to skip OKC because they have a ridiculous amount of stuff. Just know that OKC has a ridiculous amount of stuff, but also that they're not trying to be good. So they're probably not the team that's going to cash in on Donovan Mitchell right now. Unless, unless, hey, unless they decide this is the moment we've been stockpiling picks for. This is the moment we're going to pounce. We have Chet Holmgren now. We have, po- you know, we have uh, Josh Giddy. We locked in SGA. Like maybe they go for it, but I kind of doubt it. Um. San Antonio owns all of its own picks. They also have a couple of swaps in there. Um, and they have a Charlotte pick, an Atlanta pick, a Chicago pick, and an Atlanta pick. Both the Atlanta picks are unprotected. So San Antonio could throw a boatload of stuff out. But again, they appear to be rebuilding. Orlando is kind of interesting. All of their own firsts. They have a Chicago next year or 24 that is lightly protected. And they have a Denver, so they could put together, they could easily put together a package of four or five draft picks. And then we left New York for last. Why? Because it's the Mecca. It's where Donovan Mitchell grew up watching games. So let's talk about New York. New York has all of its own firsts intact. They have extra picks from Dallas, Detroit, Washington, and Milwaukee. Now, all four of those extra picks that they got, like none of them have a hard backstop where they're definitely going to convey. All four of them are picks that could eventually turn into a second round pick or nothing, but they still have their own picks of which they could trade, trade up to three or four plus four extra picks. They could literally trade eight picks to the Utah Jazz for Donovan Mitchell. I don't think they'll trade all eight, but the point is they have a known interest in the hometown kid and they have a crap load of stuff. They also just signed a guard, a small guard to $104 million deal. So I don't know what of that whole group. And I know I've been talking for a really long time and listing off stuff, which is really exciting radio, but what did I just say with that last tier of teams that are flush with assets, Ken, that just calls your attention or that you go, Ooh, that is a possible Donovan Mitchell destination. I mean, obviously New York. New York was the was the team I spent a little while today really drilling into what those picks were and turn into and and all of that like you just mentioned uh, three out of the four turn into well two out of the four turned into a second round pick one out of the four turns into two second round picks and the Milwaukee pick if it's not conveyed uh, to them then it just vanishes it it uh, becomes nothing but but they, they get it seven. if Milwaukee is anywhere from 
from fifth through 30th in the draft. So there's a, there's a high right. likelihood that one conveys. Right, right, right. Um, so New York is a, is a New York, I think falls apart a little more on the player side, again, depending on how many players and how many picks they're looking for. Uh, you hear RJ Barrett's name a lot. Uh, Knicks fans will bring up Julius Randall a lot. I would think the jazz would not value Julius Randall very much. Um, I would hope that the jazz would not value Julius Randall that very much, I, 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 you know, he's an okay player, but he's, he's not a, he, to me, he's not a centerpiece, even with a bunch of picks in a Donovan Mitchell trade. Like if um, you're taking Julius Randall, you're not giving a discount on the pick price. Exactly. You're, you're, it, you know what I mean? Like he's in the trade, the same reason Pat Beverly was in the, the Minnesota trade. He's in there because you need numbers to match, not because he offsets the value that you need in return. Right. So going back to your list, um, I think Orlando is a little interesting. Um, they've got, I, I saw, again, this was just, I'm stealing somebody's idea and I can't even attribute it because I saw it earlier today on Twitter. Somebody had thrown out, what if you did a Jonathan Isaac, Jalen Suggs and two or three picks? Is that a potential Donovan Mitchell worthy package? I mean, it obviously depends, depends a great deal on what you think of Jonathan Isaac's potential when he returns to the court but it also depends on what you if you think Jalen Suggs can develop I mean as a as a passer he's fine but the shooting has not been uh, there and you know generally teams like people who can put the spherical object in the round orange hole Um, and I, I agree with you on the Pelicans that is interesting because that's a place where you could see you know, they've got a young core. If they're truly expecting Zion to come back and be what they've hoped he could be all along, pair another, throw another star in there. And they've got some interesting enough players and clearly enough picks that I could see that being a place where you could, you know, have some good discussions anyway, as far as coming up with a package. Yeah. I think that the, the reason that teams like new Orleans are interesting is because if they got a Donovan Mitchell, then that means that they're reimagining some things and there are, and there's at least a player or two who are good and who are meaningful, who, who would suddenly become expendable as, as opposed to like Miami where like, you know, the three players you would want to build around are the players that the heat would want to hold on to, to put next to Donovan Mitchell. Um, the Knicks, like you said, I'm just not that interested in their players at all. So it would it would really have to be a draft pick centric package, like the Gobert deal was, by the way, right? Like there were uh, there were other things the Jazz wanted that Minnesota wouldn't part with, and that's why it wound up being four first round picks and a swap and a recently drafted first rounder. Um, so so I don't know. I I um, yeah I. I don't know. Part of this comes down to, to the question of do the jazz want to be good? Or if they trade Donovan Mitchell, does that mean that they really are aiming to, to land with a, with a high draft pick in 2023 um, and reset that way? Because then it kind of matters less if you're, if you're getting a, a Julius Randall guy that you're kind of talking yourself into versus you know, someone that's more exciting to you for basketball reasons. I'm not, I'm, I don't know at this point how much basketball reasons will factor into their Donovan Mitchell return, or if it's all about a value play. And, and um, 
and look, the other thing I'll say here and, and then I'll shut up and let you react is like, I, I, I like people talk to me all the time about, Oh, first round picks are overrated. And, and you're right. If you're talking about like actually getting to the point where you select a player, because only a percentage of those players are going to ever turn into anything, but draft picks are also currency. So what you could yeah. wind up with is the jazz tank for a year or two, get a good player or two, then use some of those other surplus picks to go do the inverse of the operation we're describing today, where maybe by then a different player is in a position where they're available unexpectedly and you're going and you're putting together a, an offer for, for that type of player to put next to your young guys. So I do think that the, that that route has some merit. I don't think that if the jazz wind up with 12 extra first rounders, that the plan will necessarily be to draft all 12 players at those draft positions. No, certainly not. In fact, we've going back a couple of weeks ago, I keep thinking, when are we getting to the point where Oklahoma city is going to start spending picks instead of making picks? Um, they had to waive Isaiah Roby because they had more guys on the team than they could carry. And they, I mean, they, they still have to waive some play. They, yeah, they, yeah. I think they have like, yeah, it's, it's crazy. And, and like 14 of their guys are in their first, uh, their one of their first three seasons in the NBA. Yeah. 14 Which, of their guaranteed contracts are yeah. players in the first three years. Yeah. So I, I agree. I mean, hopefully, and, 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 you know, what we've seen in the past uh, with Danny Ainge's history is um, he gathers picks. He sometimes hangs on to them a little longer than people think he should, but he hasn't hoarded them forever and, and made eight selections at a draft or whatever Oklahoma city is going to do one of these days in the draft where they make so many draft picks that they just, don't have any place to put all these guys. So, Basically running an AAU team. Right. Exactly. Right. Uh, an extra G league team running out of Oklahoma city with, uh, with all these draft picks. And so I, I do think they will use those as currency when the, when, you know, if they hang on to them at all. I mean, I think one possibility was, and maybe still could be that you're going to use some of that, small war chest now instead of trading donovan mitchell and adding to it you're going to use some of that small war chest and get that primary player that we talked about earlier but as of today right this minute you wonder if that's going to happen it has it not happened in the week since since uh, gobert's trade was made official six six and a half days now or has it because the league has been at kind of a standstill or has it not happened because it's not going to happen? You're not going to be able to trade one of these three or four veterans with one of these first round picks to get a primary player or two of these veterans with a pick or two to get an even better, you know, an even better primary player. Um, yeah. That that's what we don't know. We are not two flies on the wall in Zanuck and Ainge's offices. No, but like I said earlier, we can we can surmise correctly or not that this this shift in positioning from Woj could mean that the Jazz explored the the other direction, and that and that either nothing was super promising right now, or hey, maybe they're just doing their due diligence and they say, hey, before we pull the trigger on a on a trade for this borderline all star that some other team is is moving on from. 
we just want to know what door number two would look like that both both are possible so you're right to not rule anything out but um you know i don't i don't think it is meaningless when Woj says oh hang on basketball world there's a shift in in wins from utah i i i think i think ignoring that is probably a, a hopeful stance bordering on like naively hopeful i think it mean back to our conversation at the start i think it means something i don't know how i don't know yet much how much it means but i think it means something um i i only think a little less of it because i didn't 100 percent believe it even when he was preaching that they were shutting conversations right. down so right. i think maybe it's just it, it could be a signal of something bigger like you're saying or it could be a signal that Woj finally kind of caught up on this one because even he is not right every time and isn't plugged into everything although it does surprise me that you know presumably he had a discussion three nights ago and it took him two and a half days to well almost three full days to throw that out there but well we're um we're well past the hour mark now so oh. we should we should let these poor people um move on with their day what what was it grandpa alex used to say to be polite he'd go uh he'd say something like well, mother, we should let these nice people go to bed. And that was his way of saying, get out of my house. Um, so before we say get out of my house, I'm just going to, I'm just going to hold you. I'm, I'm going to force you to make a prediction. Do you think a Donovan deal is incoming or not? Incoming like at all ever or in the next week or like, do you think a Donovan deal is about to happen? No. Okay. If about to is defined as say say in the next week. Okay. I think I'm leaning towards yes, but okay. not by a but not by a huge margin. I think I'm like 60-40 yes. Okay. Um but I don't know. We'll we'll find out. Um well that'll do it for us. We've spent a lot of time, we've covered a lot of ground, we've talked about a lot of teams. Um and if the Jazz do something imminently, either trading their all-star guard or trading for someone to put next to him, that's something that you can surely read and hear about at saltcityhoops.com. Thanks for joining us. That over there is Ken Clayton. I'm Dan Clayton. This has been a Salt City Hoops podcast. Thanks for listening in. 